right, I invite your attention tonight to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to be looking at verse 22 through 25 tonight. 1 Peter 1, 22 through 25 as we think about uh, the amazing love that we are to have as children of God. Amazing love that we're to have as children of God. And uh, started reading tonight in verse 22. Seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, the flower thereof fadeth away, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Let's pray together. Father, we come, Lord, and just ask and confessing our need, Lord, for you to come and to speak to our hearts tonight. For, Lord, you to give understanding and clarity and illumination. And, Lord, that uh, we need you more than we need anything else, God, during this time. So, Lord, may we have a heart that's ready, a heart that's willing uh, to receive the things that you would have for us tonight. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Tonight, there's four things as we look through this uh, text of Scripture tonight. First of all, how... How can believers love? How can believers love? Then secondly, who are believers to love? Who are believers to love? Third, how should believers love? How should believers love? And then lastly, why? Why should believers love? And so very uh, tight-knit, a few verses of Scripture here uh, that, that really doesn't get too far Uh, off one way or the other that it stays very very uh, close in on the on the main idea uh, with the 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 end trying to uh, bring some continuity even uh, as it wraps that thought up here but how can we as believers love and we need to uh, remember that Peter uh, that he is writing to people that are uh, suffering because of their faith uh, that they are going through hard times, they're going through difficulties, uh, and yet in this, and maybe especially in this, that he highlights the necessity of love. And so as the children of God have uh, historically suffered because of their faith, uh, I believe that Peter is, that he feels the necessity that the Spirit uh, knows that we have to be closely knit, especially when we're going through difficulty uh, because of our faith. And I think that we can all say uh, that uh, difficulty, that it will either either drive you apart or that it will draw you together. It won't leave you unchanged. Difficulty does one of those things uh, in your life. And so uh, Peter, that he is approaching this and that highlighting the fact that don't let difficulty... Uh, divide us, but may, through God's grace, may it draw us closer together. And I believe that if there's anything that uh, Christianity uh, in general 
uh, that we need is that we'll be drawn closer together and that we would exhibit the love of the Lord Jesus Christ and that to make it more, uh, you know, more personal that that would happen in, in our assembly, in our church, in our family uh, as this uh, text indicates that we are uh, that we are a family of God, that we are brothers, and that we are sisters. And, and so uh, may that be our mindset that we have toward one another. So he says uh, and addresses how can believers love in 22a, 22a, seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth. Now, there's some people who would look at this and say that this has in mind uh, post-conversion growth or that time in our life of sanctification where we're just drawing closer and closer uh, to God. And, you know, and to some extent, I believe that is the case. But I think uh, really what he has in mind here is, is not the process of sanctification, but I think what he has in mind here is the, is the aspect, the, the moment, and the fact of conversion, all right? The fact of conversion, and that we have been born again, that there is something that dramatically took place in our life. And so I think that that's really, in essence, what he is getting at here. And, and you know, that a, that a lost person, a lost person cannot genuinely love in this in this fashion all right and and I know that there are good there are there's none good is what the Bible says but in our estimation uh, that there you know there are good people uh, who who've never been born again let's say in in comparison all right but I don't I don't think there's any way possible that a lost person can achieve and can and can attain this sort of love that Peter is talking about here. This is a God kind of love that can only come from him. This isn't something that we can manufacture. First uh, John gives us some insights. It talks about uh, loving and, and conversion and not loving or hating is what John uh, says sometimes. But in John, First uh, John 2 and 9, it says, He that saith he is in the light, and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. But sometime check out 1 John, not just 2.9, but 2.11, 3.10, and 4.20, that he contrasts uh, those who love and those who hate, those who are believers and those who are not. And so he, I believe the indication is that if we're really going to love, it's because that we have the Lord Jesus Christ in our hearts and in our life, that he has made an eternal and an impactful difference uh, for us. Now, uh, in contrast, uh, Jesus says in John 13, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. All right, so I hope, I hope you see the contrast uh, that, we, that the Bible gives us, that, there sh that we as believers, that there should be something that, that exclaims that we have been born again, and that there's that evidence uh, that people can notice uh, that we love one another, uh, that it is something that is unnatural, not of this world, but it is something that is of another 
world even, seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth. Now we have purified our souls. Uh, now this is one of those words that means a past action with a present result. All right, that, that's what it. That's what it carries. What it means. Past action with a present result, and so I would say uh, that this is this word that we that he uses here, uh, obedience. So the obeying of the truth uh, that this really means more of the of the faith aspect where we have trusted Christ, that we have obeyed the gospel. Therefore, we have been born again. All right, I think that's really. Of the implication of this text of scripture. And so it's from that point on, with continued results in our life, that Christ came in and it has continued results uh, for forever as a child of God. Now, uh, Romans uh, 6 and verse 10 says, For in that he, the old man, died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto, unto God. You see that when we are born again, that yes, it happens at a moment of time, but it's always got a future aspect to it where we are living toward what God has for us and that we are constantly pursuing what God has for us. So uh, this isn't something some sort of works-based uh, salvation or works-based uh, achievement. So it's not that sort of obedience, but in essence, it's synonymous with faith, all right? It's synonymous uh, with faith. So that, that kind of gets us set for the, for the tone that, that's being uh, developed here throughout this text. And then the second part, he says, who are believers to love? So we, we, you know, here tells us how we're to do this. And then he says who uh, we are to love. And obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. And so I believe that I, I read and heard as I was studying this that that uh, love it means brother love, literally, brother love. And so uh, you, you probably remember that that means br brotherly love. Uh, Philadelphia, we, we are all familiar with that, the city of brotherly love. And so he introduces that. And then as he goes on to talk about love, he moves from brotherly love to the next occurrence of love is the word agape love. Now, we, you know, we miss all that in our English. English, but here the first love is talking about brotherly love, and then he moves into agape love is next. But he's talking about an unfeigned love of the brethren. Now, if you uh, have a translation other uh, than the King James, it might say sincerity or a sincere love or without hypocrisy, without hypocrisy. And so that probably helps us to know uh, what unfeigned is a little bit more. Uh, in Romans 12, 9, Paul says, let love be without dissimulation or let love be without hypocrisy. May love be sincere. And so uh, not just Peter, uh, but you see that Paul, he also has the same address that he see, sees the same necessity in believers that we are to be reminded of who we are in Christ and what we are to be because of Christ and that not only we ought to be, but who the Holy Spirit of God empowers us to be. Remember that, that you know, God doesn't give us this book and say, here's, here's, what, here's what I want you to do, but there's no way you can do it. No. 
He tells us how we're to live. And he gives us the power of God, the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. And he leads us and guides us into spiritual truth and to spiritual obedience as we yield unto him. All right? And so he tells us that we are to love with an unfeigned love. 2 Corinthians 6 and 4 and 6 through there. He says in verse 4, But in all things approving ourselves as ministers of Christ. And then in verse 6, he tells one of the ways that we do that. He says, by love unfeigned. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, in verse 8, with the same Paul again, he says, I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others, and to prove the sincerity of your love. And so loving the brother, that it is foundational it's, it's a very integral part of our life of walking with Christ, very foundational part of being in the family of God. And so he, he says it's to be sincere, to have a sincere sort of faith. Now, sincere, why does he have to tell us that? He has to tell us that because you know and I know there's a lot of fake and see, especially, especially in the church, there's a lot of fake love that isn't real. A lot of talk, but nothing to back it up. A lot of talk, but no walk. As far as the practicality of it, there's a lot of, of church, there's a lot of ministry that goes on under the, um, it says it's about love and all that. But yet you and I both know that it's not powered by love. And so that hasn't changed. It's the same in our life as it was as Peter wrote these very words. You know, I'm not the judge of all that. That'll, that'll come in due time. But you know exactly uh, what I'm talking about. And so that, that is a point in our lives, individually, collectively, as a church, uh, that we always have it on, the, on our radar, spiritually speaking. That we be a people that love. And not, not just in, in word, but we do it in deed. Not, not just in theory, but we do it in practicality. And, you know, simply, you know, coming in to a church and, you know, Brother Mike saying, well, shake somebody's hand, that doesn't mean that we love one another. That it takes effort on our part, so to speak. It's a choice that you and I make that we are going to love one another. Now, uh, one, of my, one of my favorite stories of all the many stories that my father has, all right? But one of my favorite uh, stories is when he tells about when he uh, preached the, the funeral and the, and the motorcycle gang, you know, was there. And the old boy started filling in the grave. And, and, the, and the motorcycle gang, they went up to the old boy, had the shovel, grabbed the shovel out of that guy's hand and said, we'll take care of burying our own. All right? You see, we, we may look down on those boys and may not approve and uh, they may not be 
all that we would hope that they would be, all right? But we must admire the fact that they had genuine love and concern for their brother, all right? And so when we compare that, there shouldn't be one single motorcycle gang that has more love for their brother, for their comrade, than the children of God. There shouldn't be one civic organization that has more love uh, for their brother or their sister than the church church of the living God. We should make a better representation of what it means to be a family because we've got the love of God living inside of us. We have the Father's love living inside of us. And so uh, I believe that it calls for our special attention. And you know, and not everybody who comes in this church on Sunday morning is going to get that. But my prayer is tonight on a Wednesday night. If we that are here tonight, if we will get that, it will make all the difference in the world. Right. If we'll get that. Right. And so that's, that's my heart's prayer tonight. Is that we will get what it is to have genuine love. That we are to love one another. And may God help us to do that. Oh, I was uh, this morning... Uh, I was listening to a, a preacher preach, and he was, he was talking about this, this, very, this very text that I was listening to. And he said, you know, really, when it gets down to the brass tacks of it, he says, say there's a, a situation in life where you're going to either offend, offend, and this is you know, hypothetical, but it comes down to a situation where you're either going to offend a lost person or offend a saved person. Now, you and I, we would say, well, I wouldn't want to offend that lost person. He says, I would argue that you would be better off to offend the lost person and not offend the saved person. I said, I hadn't thought about that, but just, you know, I want you to think about that. You know, that sort of love. I don't know. I'm, I've been thinking about that all day. I'm not for sure about that. But see, according to the Word of God, we're supposed to to love them fervently. His argument was when that lost person would see us love the brothers in such a great way, that would bring bring them to provoke them to jealousy, so so to speak. I don't know. It's a thought, all right? I'm not saying yay or nay. I'm still ciphering on it myself, all right? But just think on it. Now, 22C. How, How should believers love? See, and, and hang on, before I move here, I want you to highlight brethren, all right? That from the last point. Let's carry over from the last one. Highlight brethren. The family aspect, the community of God, it's highlighted. And I want, it, I want you to highlight it in your heart and mind. Now, let's move on. See that you love one another with a pure heart fervently love one another with a pure heart fervently not just with sincerity without hypocrisy but we're to do it fervently it's a different aspect takes it from a different angle now he uses the word agape that word I said first of all talked about love he's talking about Philadelphia that brother brotherly love 
Now he moves into this agape love, which you and I know to be a God's kind of love, not a, not a, a humanistic type of love, but it's a highest form of love that it, it isn't contingent upon emotion. It isn't contingent upon sentiment or one's lovability, but it is simply on, upon the ability of the one that's doing the loving that he chooses to love them. All right, and so that's what God has done for us. And so now he says that we are to have that sort of love as well and that we are to love fervently. Uh, you know, anything that God asks us to do, he asks us to go all out. He doesn't ask, you know, isn't that how God usually does it? It's not for us just kind of do it. He wants us to do it with all, we, all of our might. And that's exactly what this word means. It means to stretch your muscles to the limit. Go to the limits. Go as far as you can. And that's Peter. He uses that word again in uh, chapter 4 and verse 8 <clears throat> in, in regards to love. All right. Uh, he says, and above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves so again we'll catch it here in a few weeks how that we are to have a strenuous kind of love one for another now um, you can't do that just because I told you to do it you can do that because of what God's put inside of you it's not just you know well preacher said do it no you you can do it because God gave you the capacity to do it. Now, we implement what God has given us the capacity to do. And it comes from deep inside of us, what God has done in us. God has done that in us. And he says that we're to do it from a pure heart. Pure heart. Maybe that's why that we're, some of us aren't able to carry that out like we should. Because it comes from a pure heart. The heart's where we're really at. When all the fluff, when all the clutter is done away with, our heart. And so if we're not loving like we should, it's a heart issue. Now I know that circumstances of life, that it jades us and it hurts us and scars us. But at the end of the day, that we as believers, that we have a responsibility to be obedient to the gospel. That we have a responsibility to be obedient. And that the, trusting that God and the Spirit of God is going to empower you to do what He's told you to do. What He's told me to do. And so that's, that's strong there. Now, in verse 23 through 25, we see why. Not just how, but now why should believers love? And I think, I don't know that I've connected all the dots and everything that makes all this one cohesive unit, but I know uh, that that was Peter's desire, and I know that's the Spirit of God's desire, and my prayer is that he will do that. It says, being born again. And so that is another reason why that I believe that here in verse number 22, as he talks about 
purifying your souls in obedience and obeying the truth, I believe that, once again, I believe this is the reason why that it is talking about salvation and not sanctification. Because here he is talking about being born again. All right? So I think that's a good indicator that he's bringing that up again. All right? Being born again. This is, this is why. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. So, why should we love? Simple. You've been born again. That's it. That, bottom line. That is why that we should love. That's why that our lives should be so different from the world that we live in that is marked by taking care of number one. That our life, because we've been born again, that we have a great faith in God that he is going to take care of number one and that we should have, that our ambition should be to love and to care for other people. Uh, maybe... You know, Peter, as he was pinning this, he's, uh, you know, he, he writes this to them and, and he's, he's reading their mind. They're thinking, yeah, he don't know Jack and Jim and Joe. They, they, they're just not lovable, all right? You know? <laughs> but, but he says, you can and you shall because that you have been born again. I'll tell you what, when you meet Christ, it answers a lot of questions for you. It takes care of a lot of business in your life when you come to know him as Lord and Savior. And this is one of those things that we can do this and we're empowered to do this because we have been born again. The old man's dead. We got a new man that's living now and that he is not, the old man is no longer in charge. We got a new man, got a new boss uh, when the Lord Jesus came to take up residence in our heart. Things that seemed impossible, that seemed illogical. The Lord Jesus said he changes the equation in our life. And that's what he says here, that you've been born again. Different, different existence now that Christ is on the, sea, on the scene. So he starts talking about the seed now for uh, all plant life and, and animal life, uh, however you want to look at it, uh, that, that a seed starts off life in some shape, form, or fashion. And so that, that's the commonality uh, that, that, he's, that he says here. But God's seed, unlike the natural seed, God's seed, that it is imperishable, that it's his God's life, that it never, ever ends, uh, that is without end. The only thing that's without end is what God uh, puts into operation. So he makes his point here by quoting uh, from Isaiah chapter number 40, uh, 6 through 8 there, as he talks about uh, this uh, illustration of, of the grass of the grass that all flesh is as grass. So he's making the comparison is as grass. You see that now. And so uh, with that, the glory man as the flower of grass. So this comparison that all living things are like the grass, but you know, with that, he says the flowers like the glory. So with a, you know, with a field full of fescue that even in the field full of fescue there's a flower every now and then all right and so that that's the glory the 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 flower aspect of that and so in mankind you know we're kind of we're kind of all 
you know, on our little existence and popping up here and there. There's a few people that have a little glory about them that they stand out like, like you know, different from the rest of them. But he says at the end of the day, the, fl- the, the grass, the fescue, and the flower, they're all going to fade. They're all going to wither. They're all going to wilt. They're all going to die. And that's how it is with all flesh, with all humanity, that no matter who you are, no matter uh, how much glory you got in this old walk of life, that one day when you breathed your last breath, you're not going to be any different than the one who didn't have any glory. That's what he says. And so with that being the case, he says there's just one thing that's eternal. Just one thing. One thing that is incorruptible. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. His word. What God proclaims. I believe, uh, and, and I, don't, I don't think I'm going too far, obviously, that it's this word. But you know, God speaks things that isn't necessarily contained in this word. <laughs> you, we, don't know, you know, we, don't, we don't know everything that God's spoken, but he's speaking a lot of things to keep this whole world in going, isn't he? But all those things, everything that God speaks, that it is a forever word. I was talking to a guy uh, this past week. He had uh, buried his sister and he had buried his wife all within six months. And, uh, you know, a lot, lot went on in his life. But he said, you know, Ronnie, he said that this world doesn't stop for anybody. You see that we're all, we're all in the grand scheme of things. We're all in the same playing field. We're all, all level. We're all, doesn't matter if you're a grass, you're a fescue, or you're a flower. Just one thing that endures forever, and that's the Word of God. The things of God. Spiritual things. But the Word of the Lord endures forever. I think that means that what... Peter is implying that what I'm telling you, even though, even though that humanly speaking, it may not seem, might, may not add up in your mind, it may even seem impossible. Peter says, remember that God's word, it's the truth. And God's word, that it is always sure and that you can depend upon it. You can stake your life upon it. And no matter what you feel, when God says something, you know you can stake your life there. You can hang your hat on it and you follow it with all that you are. And this is the word by which the gospel was preached unto you. That word, the very root of that word preach is the good news. All right? And he says this word that you've received. Now, you know, these, I I don't know what all the people in Galatia and Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia and Pontus, I don't know what all of, of this they had in their hand. They didn't have everything we got in our hand, I'd say. But they had had the word of the Lord preached to them. They had had powerful men of God who had spoken the word to them. And this word that we hold in our hand, and the message, messages that had been proclaimed to them that, by men like Peter, 
others, other men that had preached to them. We don't know what all they had been exposed to exactly. But he says that you've been, your hearts and your lives have been changed by the gospel. No, that's, that's one thing that as you look at yourself in the mirror, that you know you're not the same person you was before Christ came in. You can look and see the difference that Christ Jesus and the gospels made in your life. He says it's undeniable, the life of the gospel. And he says because it's true, he says that you and I, that we can live a life of love. A life of love that transcends what we think is even possible. We're not loving people because they deserve it. We're loving people because the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts, right? It's been shed abroad in us. And so I can't, I can't get this message to everybody who's going to be here on Sunday morning. But for us, may we be a people. May we be a family of God. Brothers and sisters. Who love. Yes, that we love in a Philadelphia brother-like love. That we love that way. But we have a love that goes beyond that. A love that only comes from the Lordship of Christ. And what he's done in our hearts and lives. May God give us an opportunity to put it into practice this week. Let's pray together. Father,